Welcome to episode two of the Upper 90. I'm Sam Culp. Glad to be back talking all things Premier League here on the WMUC Sports Network of Podcasts. Got a great episode for you this week. I'll be giving my thoughts on Arsenal's big win against Manchester United, discussing Liverpool's upcoming match against Man City, and going over another busy week in the EPL. I feel like I'm going to say that at the start of every every episode, but it's really the case. Every week has been so entertaining, and, and, and uh, this past weekend of matches was no exception. So let's get into it, starting with some quick hits. So number one thing to talk about this week on the quick hits is muscle injuries. They are on the rise. It's no longer a secret. Several high-profile players have gone down due to muscle injuries, mainly hamstring, uh, just off the top of my head. David Luiz, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Sergio Aguero, that's just to name a few. And uh, a lot of the, the coaches, um, the managers from the top clubs are catching on. They're criticizing the EPL for not allowing five subs. Uh, after the restart, excuse me, last year, uh, five subs were allowed for the rest of the season. It was something that some fans objected to because, you know, it's not normal with the game three subs has been around forever five subs but it's it's for this reason because it was meant to prevent injury at the start of this season the premier league initially indicated that they would keep the five subs they went back on their on their initial ruling said no we're going to we're going to go back to the way it was before the pandemic three subs and you know kind of deal with it is what they were saying to a lot of these top clubs and the issue is that the liverpools the man cities the man uniteds of the world uh, they're playing European matches. They're playing two matches a week, uh, pretty much every week up until, uh, you know, January, pretty much. They have Champions League, Europa League, and of course the Premier League. So uh, they're playing multiple matches a week, and they're the they're the clubs that are getting hit hardest by injury. And uh, I have here a, a quote from Jurgen Klopp talking about this, saying that, you know, we didn't, he, he, he's kind of advocating for uh, only those clubs competing in European competitions to have the five sub rules. And this is his quote. He says, none of the top seven clubs ask for any advantage. We just knew because we knew our schedule that it would be incredibly difficult to have the best games at the weekend in the Premier League. It would it would have helped that as well. I think we should think about it again. He's referring to the uh, the five sub rule. I think he makes a really fair point. Um, you know, even during a normal season, and, and, and just to, to remind everyone, uh, this was not a normal offseason. You know, it was compacted based on the late finish to last season and the relatively uh, normal start time for this season. So instead of there being, you know, a month and a half to two months of a break for the clubs competing in European competitions, it was really, in, in, in some cases, less than a month, which is a very quick turnaround in, in, in the world of top soccer. Um, for guys to get fit and back on the field for the start of the season, that's incredibly difficult. And uh, I think Jurgen Klopp is kind of pointing to that here, saying, you know, we don't want an advantage, but our players are being put through the grinder every week. They're 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 playing hard every week, and we don't get five subs, so we don't have a chance to keep them fit for every match day, and therefore that's leading to, to injury. Um, personally, I, I do like the five subs. Um, I actually thought it was actually it was, it was it was a little more entertaining to see five subs. We kind of got especially after the transfer window, we'd get to see a little bit more um, a little bit more of a variation in lineups. That would have been nice, but um, at the same time, I know how difficult it's going to be for the Premier League to go back again on their decision. So initially they said five, 
Now they were going back to three. To go back to five again, that's a bad look for them. I doubt it's going to happen, but I do think the coaches make a fair point. Uh, moving on to the second quick hit of the week. Some more injury news, unfortunately. This is referring to uh, West Ham striker Mikel Antonio. He's suffering from a hamstring injury. He should be back soon, according to West Ham head coach David Moyes. Um, he was sorely missed in the uh, two, in their 2-1 loss against Liverpool. He's a big part of that West Ham attack. He's one of the main reasons why they've gotten off to a hot start. Um, they, West Ham needs him back. They they kind of suffered on the attack uh, against Liverpool. You know, Liverpool, I'm going to talk about that game a little bit more in depth later, but... Um, you know, Liverpool have somewhat of a vulnerable defense. He's really important to them, but it looks like he's going to miss uh, a couple more weeks with that hamstring injury. Quick hit number three. This is actually a, uh, a statistic that I saw on Twitter um, that I was just blown away by, and it really shows uh, the impact of the goalkeeper for Chelsea. Edouard Mendy, their new signing from Rennes, Goalkeeper Inter place Kepa. Kepa, the world's most expensive goalkeeper if you go by transfer fee. Um, and the stat is that Mendy has had three clean sheets in October. It's been an incredible month for Chelsea's defense and back line. They played excellent. They got another, uh, they had another great performance this uh, past weekend against Burnley uh, in a 3 0 win. So Mendy has three clean sheets in October. Meanwhile, Kepa has only two clean sheets since January 12th. And remember, he was the starter all up until, you know, this past month. All that time, only two clean sheets. In the Premier League, this is. That is incredible to me. It shows the impact of the goalkeeper. Yes, Chelsea improved their back line, but just watching the games, you can tell the energy that Mendy brings to the squad that Kepa just didn't bring, especially towards the end when he was losing his confidence. It's just such a difference for Chelsea. And, and it's uh, one of the reasons why I think they can kind of hold their heads high, their heads high even after a, a somewhat shaky start. But they're on the way up. The goalkeeper is making a massive difference. And uh, they're, sitting, they're sitting pretty well. They've got to be confident about uh, where they stand now going into the rest of the season. All right, then, moving on to the first game breakdown of the week, Arsenal versus Manchester United, the premier matchup of the, of the weekend. Turned out to be a fairly one-sided game. I was certainly shocked by this. I, I was pretty vocal uh, in my criticism criticism of Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta last week. I thought he hadn't done a good enough job in the Premier League all season. Uh, and he completely proved me wrong this week. Arsenal dominated the game. There's no question. The result was 1-0 to Arsenal. They scored their only goal on a, pen, uh, on a uh, penalty by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But that scoreline doesn't show how dominant Arsenal was throughout the game. I even tweeted that um, it would be classic Arsenal to dominate the entire game so thoroughly against a top team like Manchester United and end in a nil-nil draw. Thankfully, thankfully for the Gunners, they did score a goal. But you know, I was I was shocked by how well they dominated the game. Even though they were, the the two sides were even in possession, shots shots on goal. If you look at the stats, it doesn't really tell the the full story of the game because things are a little bit skewed because Arsenal scored I believe it was in the seventy uh, fifth ish minute and uh, for the for the last fifteen Manchester United basically controlled possession trying to trying to uh, get that goal back they didn't 
Um, but it was really Arsenal dictating the entire game from start to finish. Number one difference maker for Arsenal since since he he signed to the Gunners has been Thomas Partey. Huge difference maker. I mean, I talked about Mendy being a difference maker for Chelsea. Partey has been the difference maker for Arsenal. His ability to move up and down the pitch is is incredible. He provides uh, he, he's a dynamic playmaker that the Gunners really haven't had in years. I mean, I can't think of the last time they had a midfielder as good of, as good um, as good as him. Um, it's been a while for sure. And uh, even though he's not going to score the goals, he's not going to make the highlight plays. He he he's so good in possession. Um, he's so good battling on and off the ball. It makes a huge difference to that defensive line. But he can also push up, and uh, he, he's he's incredibly versatile. And he made a difference against Manchester United. The biggest fault with United throughout the season, really, I think, has been the midfield. And when you put Partey against that that mid that struggling midfield. You know, it, it's it's not really a, uh, a close competition at all. Arsenal won their first road game against the Big Six in 30 matches. It's a statement win for Mikel Arteta. As I said, you know, I was I was a vocal critic of his. I thought, you know, his tactics were all over the place. His selection with Willian and, and Pepe on the wings, you know, it was confusing to me. Uh, he kind of switched some things around. Uh, the midfield, instead of it being Xhaka... And Partey put Partey and Elneny, and that seemed to really work. It kind of gave them uh, a more attacking mindset, and it worked for them. They played really well. The back line held up. That's that's another issue that Arsenal has had in in uh, last season and, and somewhat to the start of this season. Gabriel has been a great signing for them, and they, they played their best match in quite a long time. I mean, I, I, I've, I've said it before, you know, for, for teams to get into the top four, that especially like Arsenal, you got to win these road games against the Big Six, and they finally do that for the first time since 2015. Um, it's it's a massive win for them. It's a huge confidence booster going forward, and uh, you know, I'm not ready to say they're going to contend for the top four, but uh, you know, they're they're off to a pretty good start this season. There's no doubt about that. As for Manchester United, and I know that a lot of the criticism on the team has fallen on their manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and I'm not going to stray from that. That squad is too talented to be playing this bad. I know they beat Leipzig 5-0 in in the midweek. I know they have shown signs of life under Ole last year and this year, but he just isn't the right man for the job. They are so inconsistent, unbelievably inconsistent. How do you come off a 5-0 win against a Champions League semifinalist and not be able to really even compete against Arsenal, who has been horrid for the past two years? It's unacceptable. When you have Marcus Rashford, you have Paul Pogba, you have Anthony Martial. I know he was he, he didn't play in that game, but you have all that talent. And, and you can't make any anything from it. You can't win a trophy. You can't beat Arsenal at home at Old Trafford. They haven't won a game at Old Trafford this season. It, it's unacceptable to me. He needs to go. With Pochettino sitting on his couch, probably laughing, watching Manchester United struggle under Ole, the difference he could make with that squad, I mean, I, I don't know why he hasn't been sacked yet. Players clearly don't want to play with him. Jaden Sancho was their primary target over the summer. He didn't want to come to United. 
Well, he, he wanted to come to United, but you know, I I think the main reason that he he wasn't pressing Dortmund more for a move was that he didn't want to play under Ole. He's fine waiting until Pochettino or whoever they get next comes along. Ole isn't a manager that it it, it seems like he's not a manager that players want to play for. And Manchester United in the past two games against Chelsea and Arsenal really haven't shown the fight that I think a lot of football fans expect from a squad of that caliber. Um, they, they now sit in 15th place with only seven points after six matches. I mean, this is one of the top clubs in the world, one of the top clubs in America for sure, uh, top top supported clubs in America. And, uh, you know, as I said, they, they have the talent to be competitive, but the manager just isn't working Tactically, you know, I can't really point to one issue. There's a lot of different things. The midfield has been their biggest struggle all season. Some of it, I do think you have to point at the players. Paul Pogba has been, you know, where he, I, I'm not even sure he was on the field against Arsenal. He was, he was that bad. He really didn't make any impact. He gave away the penalty to Aubameyang that led to the Arsenal goal. He's been terrible. Bruno Fernandez. A lot of people like to call him Penandez because all he does is score penalties. You know, he, he's a good player. That That's obvious, but he hasn't shown up this season. And when you have guys on on, on the front end like Rashford, just just you need to get them the ball more and only needs to figure out how to get them, how to get Rashford the uh, ball more so he can score. They really only had one good chance the entire game is on a beautiful Rashford pass uh, and uh it wasn't converted. Sorry, I'm blinking on who it was. But um, they really didn't have any chance. Arsenal just dictated the entire game. I, I will say the one compliment from this game uh, that I'll give United is that their back line did play pretty well, I thought. Um, Lindelof, again, I thought was Arsenal's best player. I, I said that about the Chelsea game. And against Arsenal, he's also good. Harry Maguire, I think he's shown up this season. A lot of people like to criticize him because of his hefty price tag, um, but you know he's he's played well, uh, and uh, the back line did hold up. So I'll give United that. But all around, they really were bad for the second straight game. It falls on the manager. He needs to go. It's time. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't won anything at United. He's not going to win any uh, win anything. To me. I mean, it's a que- I question why he even got the job in the first place. I know he's a legend at United, but, um, you know, his previous job was at Cardiff. He, uh, he relegated them. He was on a Cardiff team that got relegated. He also managed Molda in Norway. I mean, really, you know, that, that shouldn't lead to a United job. The bottom line is he's not winning anything at United. It's time for him to go. Man United need to be better because their squad is just too talented to be playing this poorly. Moving on to the second game of the week, Liverpool versus West Ham. Another Liverpool, another club that I doubted wrongly, it would appear. Um, last week, I said without Van Dyke, I thought they were going to struggle. They, you know, they, they struggled. They didn't look like the dominant Liverpool that we're accustomed to seeing again against West Ham, but they did uh, scratch out a 2-1 victory. They gave up the opening goal, and then from there, they, they pretty much dominated. Um... You know, Van Dyke is so important to that back line. I'm, I'm honestly really surprised that they've held up, but it's just a, a, another example of Jurgen Klopp being the best manager in the world. He can, it, it, he seemingly can deal with anything. Um, and, he, and, and they were also missing Fabinho, uh, their, their other great 
uh, central defender. So Nathan Phillips, uh, the youngster, had to make his uh, EPL debut and, and perform well um, in a big moment for Liverpool. So uh, credit to him. The biggest moment of the game was the Mohamed Salah penalty that evened it up at 1-1. So, uh, you know, uh, this is, uh, it was a close play. Uh, it looked like he got clipped in the box uh, by uh, uh, Masuaku. And he went down on the replay. It was clearly a flop. There's no debating it. He went down. I mean, it was a, a light tap on the back of his shoe. He obviously felt the contact because he went down. In my opinion, even though he flopped, it's still a penalty. It was still contact in the box. It was still forcible. And, you know, you can call him a cheat. You can call him all these things because he took a dive. But that's what that's what strikers are taught to do nowadays. And if he doesn't go down, there's no penalty call. Even though it's contact in the box, it should have been a penalty. But if he stays up, it's unlikely it's called. So, in my opinion, it's more him, um, him using the system because refs look for players who die. There's no debating. They look, they look for players to die. They look for guys to fall down instead of what they should be looking at, which is, is this a penalty objectively? So, you know, Salah flopped. He, he, he took a dive. It was called a penalty rightfully. I think it speaks really to just the greater culture of the game nowadays with refereeing, um, that even with VAR, players are still know they have to flop to get a penalty call. Um, so, you know, after that penalty, Liverpool evens it up at 1-1. West Ham still fought hard, but eventually they did concede Diego Jada scoring his third Liverpool goal in three games. He's been incredible for them. He actually scored uh, a hat-trick today. I'm recording this on Tuesday. He uh, scored a hat-trick in Liverpool's Champions League game against Atalanta. But he's been spectacular, absolutely spectacular since he came to Liverpool. He's been their biggest signing of the transfer window. Uh, Even, even, I think he's been better than Thiago, who they paid more money to get. But anyway, he scores another goal. Liverpool wins 2-1. you know, West Ham, I think they still need to keep their heads high. They've still had a great start to the season. The comeback against Tottenham, they drew with Manchester City, and they they played well against Liverpool. It's a shame they weren't able to get points from it, but I think David Moyes knows that he's onto something and that um, once Mikel Antonio comes back, they're going to be you know back to their um, their full form. He's their best goal, goal scorer. So uh, that was kind of what they were lacking against Liverpool, a, a real striker that could break through that that uh, somewhat shaky back line, even, without, um, even though they did play well without Van Dijk. I still think they're susceptible, especially with no Fabinho. But um, yeah, it was a good effort from West Ham. Liverpool uh, next up have Manchester City, and that leads me into my preview of that game. Liverpool versus City, huge matchup next Sunday at 11.30. I'm really excited. I, I even though both of them have kind of gotten off to shaky starts, this is this is the match between the top two. These are the clubs that you want to see playing against each other, especially going in an international ba- uh, international break. So you know they're going to go all out. But um, if you go by the table, they're actually on opposite ends of each other, of each other. Liverpool 
is still in first. They're maintaining that champion's position. A lot of people are saying they're the most disrespect, disrespected defending champion ever. I'm not sure about that. But City is in 10th. They haven't gone off to a great start. They've dropped some points against teams that they should beat, like West Ham. Um, but they come into this game almost healthy. There's uh, Pep Guardiola said in his press conference uh, after um, after this week that uh, Sergio Aguero might be back for this game. That would obviously be a huge boost for Liverpool. But Kevin De Bruyne is healthy, and uh, he looked pretty good against Sheffield. Managed to make it through 90 minutes without being subbed off, which is a really good sign. He also played today in Manchester City's 3-0 win against uh, Olympiacos. Uh, he did get subbed off, but he's, he seems fit. He seems ready to go, and he's, he's obviously gonna, going to, uh, I, mean, I assume, play in this massive matchup against Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. Both clubs are still expected to finish near the top. I, I had them 1-2 in my uh, predicted top four. I think I'm, I'm just going to stick with City winning the title, but uh, you know this matchup obviously is going to play a huge role in that. Um, as for Liverpool, with Jota's form in the past couple matches, I'd have to think he starts, right? Although, that does mean you have to sit either Firmino, Salah, or Mane, and we know how good those three are at the front. So, we'll see what Klopp decides. In my opinion, if he does decide to, to sit one of those front three, it's it's got to be Firmino. Mane and Salah are just too important to that attack. And uh, but but you know the way Jada is playing, he's he's so quick on the ball. He's a, he's a great striker. Um, it was a great pickup for Liverpool, and and he's uh, added a nice piece off the bench for him for uh for Jurgen Klopp. He might stay coming off the bench, and it it'll probably still work out for them with City's defense kind of being lackluster, especially on the left side. You know, it's 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 uh only going to take um you know, one mistake from that back line for a goal to be scored, and, and Jada, with his speed, can definitely do that. As for a prediction, even though I think City's going to finish top, I think this is going to be a 2-2 draw. I think if I have to give a slight edge to one team, it's actually going to be Liverpool. I think they come into this match in slightly better form, a little bit healthier, just a, 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 a more confident squad, it would seem, through these first seven weeks in the Premier League, Manchester City are still a very strong side, but and and that's why I think it will finish two two. Their attack is still very strong, even without Aguero. They still have uh, obviously Fernand Torres, De Bruyne, um, all these these great players that we've seen on City throughout the past couple seasons, who have really taken charge. They're going to to score some goals. It's going to be an entertaining match, but uh, no winner on this one. I think it's going to be a two two draw. As I said at the top of the show, it was another exciting week in the Premier League. Let's talk about some of those other matches. Starting off with my club, Chelsea, defeating Burnley 3-0. I talked about it a little bit earlier. Edward Mendy played spectacular. Fourth straight clean sheet in all competitions. As a Chelsea fan, I'm, I'm super excited to finally have a goalkeeper that I can trust. And quite frankly, a defense that I can trust. They've looked so good. Um, Thiago Silva has been a great signing. Kurt Zuma after uh, somewhat of a shaky start, has really picked it up, and the back line is, is, is helping out Mendy, um, and it's, it's another reason why they've uh, kept four clean sheets in a row. As for the attack, Hakim Ziyech scores again. His first, Actually, his first Premier League goal, uh, his second goal in all competitions for Chelsea, but he is the real deal. I thought when they signed him, 
He was he was going to be one of their best signings. I think value wise, he might be their best signing just because of what he can do on the wings. He's so he's he's such a good crosser of the ball. He's, he's going to really help them from set pieces and uh, on the attack. He's 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 mobile. Uh, he's he's a great runner. He does all the things that you want in a striker, and they're essentially they essentially replace Willian with Ziyech. So I don't know. You tell me. I mean, I'll take a 27-year-old Ziyech over a 32-year-old Willian any day of the week. So, you know, pretty good uh, pretty good swap there, in my opinion. Moving on to Fulham versus West Brom. Fulham gets the 2-0 victory in a relegation six-pointer. I know it's a little bit early to uh, quite be classifying the match as a relegation six-pointer, but uh, it kind of feels like that. Both clubs have really struggled to get their footing in the Premier League after being promoted. Uh, Fulham gets their first win. West Brom has still yet to win a match, but we'll see. You know, West Brom was in my was in my bottom three prediction, but I still think they have some talented players. I still think they're going to contend to uh, uh, keep, uh, stay up at the by, by by the end of the campaign. But um, it's a great win for Fulham. You know, they they struggled as well to to start. Finally, they get a win. And, um, you know, who, who knows? They could keep it going. This Premier League season has been absolutely crazy. Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they, they somehow uh, go on a little bit of a run here and, and gain some points. They play West Ham next week. That's obviously going to be a tough match, but um, it's a great win for them. And, and you like to see those small clubs, uh, you know, gain, start to gain some footing um, in the top flight. Next match, Leicester versus Leeds. Leicester dominating 4-1. This was actually the, the surprising result of the week to me, the shocker. Um, I was really surprised by Leicester's attack because they had kind of been somewhat docile in the last couple matches. I know they exploded, um, what was it, against uh, Man City uh, a few weeks back. They won that game 5-2, to but since then they've looked somewhat weak on the attack. A lot of their goals obviously rely on Jamie Vardy. He did score again in this match. Uh, actually, it's a milestone. It was a milestone goal for Vardy. He's, he's really. It's a really an incredible story from non-league, uh, working his way up in Leicester, from the Championship to the Premier League. He scores his 110th Premier League goal, which takes him past Ryan Giggs on the all-time Premier League scoring list. It's incredible for him. He's he's scored more goals. I saw uh, this on Twitter. He scored more goals than Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Luis Suarez in the Premier League, a lot of great names. I mean, he's going to go down as one of the all-time greats, um, and he's he's continuing to to uh, score goals at a high at a high rate for Leicester. He's still their best player after so many years. Leicester was missing a lot of players for this game. Uh, Evans and Didi Soyuncu all out. They still managed to get it done, and this this is again what we see from Leicester every year. It feels is that they are resilient. They will push you. They might not have the most talented squad, and obviously, since they won the Premier League, they've lost a lot of talent. But they're still at the, at, you know, close to the top of the table, and they get a, a big win against a Leeds team who have been really hot, especially on the attack. They hold them to one goal. Final match from the week: Southampton beating Villa four to three. Another surprising result. I mean, I never expected Southampton to score four goals in a match this season. If you if you watched them over the past couple years, they've been a very defensive-minded club, but they they put up four against Villa. Villa, I, I would have expected to score three, but not get not get uh, beaten in a shootout like this. That that uh, Southampton attack with Danny Ings just looks different. James Ward-Prowse is definitely a big part of that. He scored twice 
uh, uh, for Southampton in, the, in that win. So um, they're, they're a team to watch out for. If, you know, going by the table, you know, they're, they're sitting pretty. They're sitting in fifth place right now ahead of Chelsea, ahead of Arsenal, ahead of Man City, you know, ahead of these good clubs. So uh, they're definitely a team to look out for with Wolves kind of being the um, the fairy tale story over, over the past, or of last year. Maybe Southampton kind of will take that role and push for a European spot. We'll have to see. As for Aston Villa, you know, they'll be fine. They, they have so much talent, Ollie Watkins, Jack Grealish. But, you know, it just uh, this, this is just another result that goes to show that the Premier League is unpredictable. You never really know on a week-to-week basis who's going to come out on top. Um, you know, going in, as I said, I, I would have thought it would be Aston Villa winning 4-3 rather than uh, Southampton. I, w- I would never expect them to put this up many goals. Um, but Villa is still a threat. You know, I'm, I'm not um, taking anything away from them. It's, it's a loss that uh, will certainly be discouraging, but, you know, they'll recover and uh, they're already off to a great start, so they'll be fine. Unfortunately, this week, I did not get any questions on Twitter. I do really want to hear from you guys, get your thoughts and opinions about the Premier League. So, uh, you know, every every week I'll have a tweet that you can reply to with your thoughts, questions, anything that has to do with the EPL. I'm always open to it, and I, I, I love interacting with, with fans of the sport. There aren't a lot of me- there aren't many of us, so it's always nice when you can find some and uh, engage in a little bit of banter. Um as for uh, I'll, I'll, last week, I gave a, my top four prediction. This week, I'll, I'll give another prediction. Who's going to win the Golden Boot? Through the first seven weeks, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and uh, Son are tied at the top with eight. Salah and Vardy are right behind with uh, seven each. And then Banford has six uh, coming in in fifth. So it's it's congested at the top. I think there are so many uh, great goal scorers, a couple that have broken out like Banford and uh, Calvert-Lewin this season. So... It's, it's a tough prediction. Before the season, I was saying Aubameyang. I thought it was clear. Doesn't look like that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little 180, change my prediction a little, and go with Mo Salah. I think he's just too good. He's so quick in the box. He's going to draw a ton of penalties, and it looks like he's Liverpool's primary penalty taker, at least for now. He's going to rack up the goals. Calvert-Lewin is... The popular pick, kind of the the trendy pick right now, but my question with him is can he stay healthy and keep up this production throughout the season? Everton have already shown that uh, you know they're, they're, they could drop off. They lost 2-1 to Newcastle over the weekend. So um, you know I have questions about that squad and, and of Calvert-Lewin, so I'm going to go with Salah. It's the, it's the conventional pick, but I think he's going to do it again. I think he looks like he's back to his top form, and Liverpool are going to need him more than ever. Before I end this episode, I just want to quickly talk about something not Premier League related. Um, the U.S. men's national team released their roster for their uh, friendlies against Wales and Panama over the weekend. I just want to um, spend a brief moment talking about the improvement of this squad since they missed the World Cup in that horrific, horrific, don't even want to think about it, loss to Trinidad and Tobago back in uh, 2017. This squad has improved so much since then. Pulisic is is still there, but Gio Reyna, um, uh, Zach Steffen in goal as opposed to Tim Howard. I love Tim Howard, but you know back in 2017 he was long gone by then. Now the U.S. has a goalkeeper they can count on. 
uh, Weston McKinney in the midfield. I mean, it's exciting just to see this squad blossom and a couple guys in there in the Premier League, obviously, um, uh, Pulisic for, for Chelsea and Stefan for Manchester City. So it's, it's encouraging to see. It'll be interesting um, to watch how they fare in those two friendlies. But uh, hopefully they can make a push back into the World Cup. Uh, I know as a U.S. Uh, Premier League fan, it's it's sad during these international breaks to see all these great players from the Premier League, whether they're English, Spanish, Brazilian, wherever, go off and play for the national teams and, and uh, be really good playing for them and, and get to, to world-renowned success. And as a U.S. fan, um, I want that too. So I'm hoping... Uh, you guys are rooting for the U.S. men's team along with me. But with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode. You can follow me on Twitter, at Culp underscore Sam. Continue to send your questions and thoughts about the Premier League there. You can also follow WMUC Sports at WMUC Sports. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week.